The Creek Church is a community of believers located in Fort Worth, Texas. If you would like more information about the Creek Church, please be sure to visit our website at thecreekfw.com. Isn't that awesome? I love it when our kids lead us in worship. And I just have to say this. Our children's staff and volunteers are the best on the planet. I love them. They, they do an incredible job with your kids. Um, they'll know your kid's name, mom, dad. They might not know your name, but know this. They love your kids, and they are pouring Jesus into your kids. And um, it's awesome. I love days like today. So thank you for being here. Um, all of you, I could tell who the parents and grandparents were because you're like this, like which is better than back when my kids were this small because it was like this. <laughs> the old video camera and you get a cramp in this eye and you're like trying to move over. But uh, so I'm, I'm so glad you're here. The kids will be available for autographs and pictures after the service. Um, and uh, you can pick them up as long as you've got their sticker. So uh, let me give you some updates on what's going on in the, around the church, in the church, around the church. Um, we have been on a search for the last several months for a youth pastor, and we have been interviewing, and we hope to be getting close in that. Uh, Joseph Neville has been our interim youth director. He's a full-time teacher. He's in the band. He's also a, a professional musician, and we're like, hey, can we add something else to your plate? Um, which is, that's ministry, right? Uh, so he's been doing an incredible job, and so we're hoping to get close, so be praying because we want the right man of God in this, in this department for our students. We're looking to hire that full-time so we get uh, a dynamic um, guy and so somebody else we can pick on and make fun of. So it's, we're looking forward to that. So it's going to be awesome. So keep praying for that. If you have any questions, you can see me in the lobby or email me. And then our One Church update, the One Church is our campaign update. We are in the process officially of what is called schematic design. Um, basically, it's just a bunch of drawing. And that drawing goes to a construction company, and we hope that we're going to be able to get some prices and estimates to see what we're going to build. We know construction's coming. We just don't know what it's going to look like yet. So that's, that's the update on that. Um, but our first fruits offering we had in November, we were saying that we were looking to be around $150,000 cash by the end of the year so we could really get this thing cranking. And $260,000 came in that weekend. So I'm grateful for you guys. And so that meant we got this process. We're on it. So we're, we've been meeting with architects and trying to get everything ironed out. And so we'll just, we'll see. Um, I mean, I'm just, we're just start pushing this. So it's going to be awesome. And then this Wednesday, if you're free this Wednesday, if you've never done this, it's an incredible experience. We're going to be delivering the Northbrook gifts. And if you've never gotten to be a part of that, the families come and pick up the presents. It's incredible. We get to serve our community. We get to serve those families. We get to just pour the love of Jesus on them, and we get to be around Northbrook staff, which we love and enjoy spending time with. So this Wednesday, go to the Welcome Center and sign up for that. We'd love to have your help. Uh, men, we'd, we'd love to have your help loading up the trailer and trucks and all that stuff uh, that we're going to be taking. We, we sponsored 98 kids from Northbrook. Um, so thank you so much. And all but one of those was gone the first, actually, every one of them was gone the first weekend. The second weekend, every one of them was gone, and then we had one more come in. And so, um, 98. So thank you so much for all your help with that. If, uh, oh, and let me, let me just clear something up. Christmas weekend, we're doing services on Friday and Saturday. No services on Sunday. I know some of you who grew up in church, you were there every time the door was open. 
I know you're shaking right now. You got that little tick going on. Like, wait a second. Um, my mom is not going to allow that to happen. It's okay. It's okay. All right. It's okay. We'll get through it. We're going to have New Year's Day services. We're only going to do two services, the 10 and 1130. Um, so uh, I'm looking forward to see how many of you guys are going to be here. I figure we'll do acoustic music, you know, keep it low. I won't yell at you. Y'all be tired or something like that. Anyway, if you've got your Bible, go to Romans chapter 5. We've been in a series called uh, Sent to Us, and our prayer behind this series is for us to really understand what was sent to us in Christ Jesus, Uh, that Jesus was sent from heaven to earth. He was born of a virgin, and we celebrate Christmas because he was laid in a manger. He was born in the most humble way for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. But what is it? What did we really get? What did he really send with his son? And we've been tracking over the last couple weeks, love. Last week, we talked about joy. This week, um, God really just impressed it on my heart to speak about hope. And I want to teach to you about hope. And there may be some preaching to you about hope this morning, too. And so I want us to kind of get centered on this idea of hope. So Romans chapter 5, if you don't have a Bible, we keep some on the back tables. If you don't own one, write your name in it. That's our gift to you. If you don't own one, get one of the new ones. I think they're still wrapped up. So you can open up a Christmas present early, which I know you're dying to do. So, oh, and then some of y'all have already asked me. I'm going to give you an update, baby update. We have no granddaughter yet. So uh, none of the women in my family are on time. Wait, are we Facebook live in this one? Every woman in my family is so punctual, I just don't understand this. <laughs> to be honest with you, I was talking to the kids last night over FaceTime, and, and it's 21 degrees for a high in Toronto and snowing. That baby just doesn't want to come out. It's like us, none of y'all wanted to get out of bed Friday morning, right? <laughs> like it's so cold. You don't want to get out of bed, and Heather's not here, so I can't say, hey, can you turn off the fan? Can you turn up the heat? And I'll get out when it warms up. It's roughing it around my household right now, so pray for me. But uh, I wouldn't blame her. If I was that baby, I'm cozy right here. I'm going to stay here as long as I can. So I will blast Facebook, and trust me, you're going to be tired of hearing me talk about my granddaughter. Um, But so we're uh, praying, be praying for Laura. We're just praying for a great uh, entry into this world. Her name is Winona, and we can't wait to meet her. So um, producing hope. I'm in this baby mindset, it's Kids Weekend, and, and uh, the title of today's message is Producing Hope. Where my thought process was going was asking that, that, that odd question, you know, that uncomfortable question, where does hope come from? If you've got kids, you understand when they say, where do babies come from, Right. And for the fathers, we have been trained in how to answer this question. We answer the same way. It's a fatherhood standard. Go ask your mother. (laughs) But I want us to kind of focus in on a little bit of this hope and not hope in a sense from the world's perspective, because when we think about hope, um, we're just kind of like, I hope this works out. It's kind of like, it would be nice if this could happen. Like, I hope I get this job. I hope I get this promotion. I hope we can take that vacation this year. I hope my kid turns out okay. Um, All those things that it would be nice and I really would like for this to happen. In the biblical sense, in scripture, hope is closely tied to trust and very closely linked to faith. And so this hope isn't just this 
idea that it would be nice if that could happen, you know? It is, it, it's got its foundation in trust and faith. And when we trust in Jesus, that hope becomes tangible. It becomes real in our life. And I want us to understand how that hope is produced. So I've got a little mathematical formula for those of you who thought you would never use algebra again. So Romans chapter 5, starting verse 1. Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Let me, let me under, help you understand this, because Paul starts out this section, this chapter, with therefore. And when, when Scripture was originally written, there weren't the chapter and verses. This was one letter written to the church in Rome. It was designed to be read aloud to the church and then copied and passed on to other churches. But Paul's, he's kind of connecting an idea here. So when he says, therefore, we need to understand what, what he's summing up, what he's saying, because of this, we need to understand it. And so the context for this is set in, in chapter four. When Paul's given the example of Abraham's faith, the promise of Abraham, in the Old Testament, God shows up to Abraham and he says, Abraham, I'm gonna make you a father of many nations. Your descendants are gonna be as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. And Abraham was about 100 years old and hadn't had any kids and his wife was barren. But here's what's interesting. If you back up into chapter four, um, when God says this to Abraham, the example that Paul gives us in chapter four, verse 18 says, in hope, he believed against hope that he should become a father of many nations as he had been told. So what this means is he trusted beyond what he could trust. So he was trusting in himself. If we put our trust in ourself, we're not gonna see beyond that situation. So it says he, he hoped against hope or some translations say he believed against belief. So he said, I believe you, God, because you have said this and I'm not looking at my current circumstances because what you've said goes beyond that. And then it, it goes on to say that uh, he did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of, the, of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he has promised. That's why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. So Abraham places his faith in this promise of God. He trusts God. And scripture tells us that his faith, his belief was credited to him as righteousness. But Paul goes on to make the argument that this was not just for Abraham. This is for all of us who put our faith in Christ. That when we believe in Christ as our Lord and Savior, that that belief, that faith, that trust, that hope is credited to us as righteousness. Then he makes the connection. Therefore, since we've been justified by this faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into his grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Now, this hope isn't just some future hope. I mean, we're not called as Christians to surround ourselves and insulate ourselves in a, a little church walls and say, I'm just going to sit here until Jesus comes back because that's the hope of my future glory. That's not going to get you anywhere in life. You're going to miss out on a lot. You're going to miss out on a lot of what God wants to show you. 
And so we're not called to just sit and wait it out and say, well, my hope is in the future. My hope is in the future. You know what? Stop living in the future. Some of you spend too much time living in the past. Some of you spend too much time living in the future. God's called you to live in the here and now. So let's be in the here and now. And this hope in the, in the here and now is also real. It's very present for us. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who he has given to us. So this idea of hope and how this hope is grown and where hope comes from, how is it conceived and how does it give birth in our life? How do we produce hope? And and here's the reality. There's a common factor that we have to understand in this equation. That common factor has to be Jesus. Because without Jesus, suffering is just suffering. Without Jesus, we can't have a godly character. Without Jesus, we have no hope. And so Paul makes this argument that says, look, you've got this hope of your future glory, but you can also rejoice in your present sufferings. Now, the Bible talks about suffering a lot. The Bible's honest with us about it. We don't have this this false hope that says, well, when I give my life to Jesus, everything's going to go well. The Bible's honest with us. We're going to see Paul in a minute. Paul authored this letter to the Roman church. We're going to see some of his suffering in a little bit. But we've got to understand something. How we get from suffering to hope, Jesus has to be at the center of it. And so Paul starts to make this argument that suffering plus Jesus produces endurance. I really wish that you didn't endure the suffering that you had to endure. But we all face it. We all deal with life. Last week when we preached to you about joy, that joy is foundational. There's a bedrock of Christ in our life. And it's not our happiness that we're concerned with because our happiness can change with a phone call. Our joy lasts forever. And our joy is unshaken. And so when we understand this idea of suffering, we understand that we are going to face it. Every one of us will face something in our life. And what Jesus is working in our life through that suffering to produce is endurance, patience, because we will face something again. It's this, I said last week, remember the circle of life? You're either in trouble, getting out of trouble, or getting ready to get back into trouble. That's just how it rolls. So if you're out of trouble right now, I'm gonna take that breath. Be like, thank you, Jesus, for this time. If you're in trouble, Paul says you can still rejoice in that. Why? Because he's, Jesus is building patience in you. He's building endurance in you so you can endure the trials that life is going to face. You see, our faith, our hope, our trust is placed on Jesus who endured the greatest suffering the world has ever seen. He was patient through trial. That's why Paul writes to the Roman later in this letter. He says, rejoice in hope and be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. I mean, these are challenges to us that we continue to move forward, that when we face things, it is building patience so that we can endure 
not only just endure. See, the church isn't just called to endure and be like, we're just gonna ride out this storm. We're to rejoice. We're to give glory to God because he is good even when life is not. So what I've seen is suffering without Jesus produces hardness. Or in some cases, suffering without Jesus produces cynicism. And it's hard for us to even hear about the things of God because our life has made us calloused. And Jesus doesn't allow us to go through suffering. God doesn't allow us to go through suffering so our hearts become hard. He allows it. I know that's a scary term. He allows suffering to build endurance, but not just to build endurance. That endurance plus Jesus produces character. Now let me, let me back up and say something. So God allows suffering. Yes. Read the book of Job. I'm not preaching from Job this morning, but I spent a lot of time the last couple weeks in the book of Job. If you have not read it, I highly recommend reading Job's story. Man, he, he's all over the page when this happens. But here's, here's the reality. Satan and God had a conversation. And God says, you can do everything but take his life. And Satan raised havoc in the life of Job. At one point, Job says, I'm using broken pottery to scrape the wounds and the boils and the sores. At one point, Job's wife comes in and says, you just need to curse God and die. And Job goes through this range of emotions. He said, no, I want to stand before God and bring my charge against God. God owes me an explanation. Then Job goes through the thing of humbling himself and saying, God doesn't owe me anything. And even if God kills me, I'm going to trust him. And then when God answers him, just read that when you want to think about how big God is. But God, yes, it doesn't mean he wants us to suffer. God doesn't rejoice in our suffering. God rejoices in what our suffering produces. We shouldn't rejoice in our suffering because we're suffering. We rejoice because of what that produces. That produces patience and endurance, which produces character. You and I, when we give our life to Christ, when we become a Christ follower, a Christian, we're born again, regenerated, whatever terminology you use scripturally around this, the bottom line is this. We humble ourselves before Jesus as Lord and Savior, and we submit our life to him. We confess him as Lord. We ask for that forgiveness of our sin, and he says that faith is what gives us peace with God. That faith is what makes us the righteousness of God. And our process then becomes of maturing into a Christ follower, a disciple that looks like Jesus, that we're conformed in his image. Now that doesn't mean that he's changing our face. It means he's changing our character so that what we do exhibits the character of Christ. I make decisions now based on the character of my mother and father, right, wrong, or indifferent. They did things, and I learned character from them, and I've learned incredible godly character from my mother and father. But when I make decisions, there's a lot of, th- there's a lot of times that I'll do something, and Heather will look at me and go, that's your dad. That's your mom. How much does the world look at us and go, that's Jesus? Man, your ability to 
love people, that's Jesus. Your ability to welcome in people, that's Jesus. To celebrate with those who celebrate and hurt with those who hurt, that's Jesus. That's the character that we're called to portray in the world. That's the character that we're called to be in the world. And suffering produces that patience and endurance. And patience and endurance are vital in a discipled life. Otherwise, we end up with a fast food faith. We end up with this, I want it now. I mean, God, I prayed it, I want it now. I know there are people in our church community that are praying for healing. I know there are people in our church community that are praying for reconciliation in their marriage, that are praying for their kids that have walked away, that are praying for jobs, that, have, that are praying for provision, and it's gonna have to come miraculously through the hand of God. And patience runs short in those situations. Trust me, I know this. But God is still faithful. And some of the best lessons I've learned in life, some of the best lessons I've learned as a follower of Christ is when God doesn't say yes, he says not yet. And I've learned patience in that, and I've learned how to glorify him even in that lack. Let, let me just get gut level honest here for a minute. Some of you are facing afflictions, and you're asking God to take that away. Can I ask you an honest question? If God were to miraculously remove that affliction from you, would you still press into the heart of God? And I'm not saying that you fall in love with your affliction, but I'm saying you recognize what's happening in your life, that God is using that affliction to draw you closer into his heart, and it's shaping your character. Because God's going to connect you with somebody that's going through a similar situation, and he's going to call you to go into that situation and be patient with them, to sit with them, to help them to pray with them, to encourage them. That when they get impatient, you help them be patient. That's the character of God. And then what happens through this character is this character with Jesus produces hope. So suffering by itself does not produce hope. But suffering with Christ at the center produces the patience and endurance that makes us look more like Jesus, that brings that godly character that ultimately produces a hope. And it says, Paul says, hope does not disappoint us. Hope does not put us to shame. We have this hope that is solid, that is tangible. And it's not just a, I hope God's gonna do something. It's not a manufactured hope. See, we don't have the ability to manufacture biblical hope that comes through Jesus. Our hope is this, I hope this works out. I mean, Paul told the church at Ephesus, he said, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh were called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision. So what he's saying is that remember that you were at one time separated from Christ. You were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope without God in the world. The only way we know hope, real hope, 
is with Christ at the center of it. Everything else is something we try to manufacture to get our spirits up or to give us some type of some good news to look forward to. When in reality, the hope that we're called to is real. Now, let me show you some of Paul's sufferings. I'm gonna flip over to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter one. And, and Paul makes a statement in verse 10. He said, he delivered us from such a deadly peril and will deliver us. He will deliver us. On him, we have set our hope that he will what? Deliver us again. Let, let me help you with what Paul's facing. Let me back up a little bit. Verse eight says this. And if you're taking notes, write down. Second Corinthians chapter one, verse eight through 11. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. What he's saying is, I don't want you to be unaware. I want you to know what's going on in my life. Some translations, this literally translates ignorant. I don't want you to be ignorant of what's going on in my life. See, that's the beauty of community in the church. And we pray this every week, that when you walk in the door, if you're celebrating, we want to celebrate with you. If you're up, we're up with you. If you're hurting, we're going to hurt with you. If you're down, we're down with you. But that's where we've got to be honest with each other. That's why church isn't a place to come in and put on the mask and go, oh, everything's great, brother. Praise the Lord. Get in here and get honest with yourself. Get honest with God and get honest with somebody else so that we are not ignorant. We are not unaware of your suffering but Paul says to the church in Corinth, he says, I don't want you to be unaware of what we're facing and what we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. What Paul's saying is we got to a point where we didn't have hope. Some of y'all are there. Some of you are facing situations and you're going, I just don't, I don't see how this is going to work out. Paul says we despaired of life. We felt like we had received a death sentence. But the Holy Spirit starts moving in Paul when he says, indeed, we felt this, but that was to make us not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. I may not see the hope. I may not see how this is gonna go, but my hope is set on God who has life in his hands, who breathes life into me, who gives me life, who sustains my life, who holds my life. That's where I'm gonna put my trust. That's where I'm gonna rely. Then Paul says, he delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. So Paul, in this despair of life, sets hope that goes beyond hope. That Paul believes and hopes against hope. And some of you may be there, and here's what you need to understand in this, that Paul's hope in his life and where he was fixed on his hope was that of God who raises the dead who was given by Jesus Christ. And that hope framed his past because it, he's delivered us. It frames his present. He will deliver us. And it frames the future. He will do it again. That hope today needs to reframe you. 
Now, some of you think you have a past that you can't be delivered from. That the enemy's trying to tell you you don't have hope. And can I tell you that God is faithful and the hope that he has given you, he will deliver your past. He will redeem your past. You have to put your hope in him to do that. Some people are like, well, yeah, the, the, I grew up in church and I've been around God and, you know, the, I always know a testimony is going to start out a little funky when it's I've been a Christian all my life. Because there's got to be that moment that we set our hope on Jesus, that we humble ourselves before him and say, I need your grace in my life. I'm a sinner. Have mercy on me. And some of you may have grown up in church and been around church and say, you just got invited. You got bait and switched this morning. Like, hey, come watch my kids in a Christmas program. And you're sitting here going, man, I thought that Christmas program was going to be the whole service. Great. (laughs) Don't worry. They owe you lunch. So maybe you've grown up around church, but your present circumstances may be despairing you of life. And can I tell you, your hope can be set on Jesus to deliver you now. Every one of us are gonna face something in our days ahead of us and we need the faithfulness of God that he will deliver us. He did it before, he'll do it again. He did it before, he'll do it again. Some of y'all just need to start singing that old song. He'll do it again. You just let that be your, your walking song. He did it before, he'll do it again. Some of you are asking yourself this. I don't know where this hope is gonna come from. Can I tell you this heavenly hope of Jesus has been through hell? That Mary was holding hope when she held Jesus, when she looked in the face of hope, that our hope walked this earth, lived a perfect life. Our hope endured the cross. Our hope was laid in a borrowed tomb. Our hope descended into hell and holds the victory over death, over hell, over sin. And our hope rose on Easter Sunday. So if you're wondering where your hope's gonna come from, I just don't, I mean, some people just, again, I hear this even in the church, I just don't know. I don't know if God's gonna do anything. I just don't know. I've been praying, I've been praying, I've been praying. I don't know where my hope's gonna come from. You know what? You, I can tell you where your hope's gonna come from. Look at Jeremiah 29, 11. God says, I know. I know where your hope comes from. I have plans of welfare for you. I have plans of peace for you and not of evil to give you a future and a what? A hope. The Psalm of David, it's a song of ascent in Psalm 121. He says, I will lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made the heaven and earth. This song of ascent. Some of you are walking around with no hope going, well, I just hope life works out. I hope we're gonna make it. I hope something's gonna happen. I hope God's gonna show up. Get your eyes up to the hills, people. When you look up, Jerusalem was set on a hill. When you look up, you have hope. When you look up, you can see that life that he's called you for because he's created the heavens and the earth. He's created you. And let me tell you something. He loves you much more than anything else he's created. He loves you more than the birds of the air who he feeds without them even worrying about it. He loves you more than the lilies of the field whom he clothes and none of them, even in that glory, can outdo anything that God wants for you. God is your hope. Set your hope on him. Set your eyes on him. Begin to look to him. When you despair of life, set that hope. And it's not just a, I hope God's gonna deliver me. It's a trust. 
You see, we, we talk about Christmas being the time Jesus was sent to us. Let's understand something. He was sent for us. He was sent for us to get our eyes up. So we set our hope on him. We set our trust on him. We set our faith on him. Mary was holding hope. What are you holding on to? If it's not Jesus, it's not gonna give you real hope. So let me encourage you with this today. God is faithful to deliver you and to deliver you again and to continue to pour an eternal hope of a future of peace, of welfare, and glory into your life. Let me pray for us. Father, we love you and we thank you so much for hope. Thank you for raising up hope in us. Hey God, we just don't have a a hope so attitude. We just don't have an attitude of, it would be nice if you would be with us. It would be nice if you would deliver us. But Father, we come to you with the faith that you give us because by this faith, we have been made righteous before you. By this faith, we have peace with you. By this faith, we have access into your presence. By this faith, you have poured out grace on us. And by this faith, we can stand on your trustworthy word that says you have delivered us, you will deliver us, and you are faithful to deliver us again. So Father, I pray for deliverance this morning. I pray for a hope that is set on you, the unshakable. I pray for the hope to be set on your presence that you who come into every moment of our life, you never leave us, you never forsake us. I ask for you to fill us with that hope this morning. God, if there's anyone in this room that has never set their eternal hope on you, I pray today is a day they receive it. I pray today is a day that deliverance happens. We're gonna do something together as a church so that we're all aware of God's grace. And so I want you to pray this with me. Every one of us, we're gonna pray this out loud. If you've never asked Christ into your heart, today's the day. You pray this. It's not the words that save you. It's your heart that saves you. Call on him for that hope and that deliverance. You can use my words, but let's pray this together as a family. Dear Jesus, I trust you. I submit my life to you. I give you my past. I give you my sin. And I'm asking for your deliverance. I'm asking for your grace I'm asking for your redemption. Change me. Shape me into your character. And let me live my life with my hope set firmly on you. I believe you died for me. And I believe you rose for me. And my hope is set on you. If that's you, if you prayed that prayer for the first time, I want you to see our prayer team. I'm gonna close us out, but I want you to see our prayer team at this altar. Let them pray with you some more. Let them talk to you about what this means. I love you and I'm grateful for you. Father, I just pray you bless us today. I pray we walk out of here hopeful. I pray we walk out of here different than we walked in. And I pray that this week, no matter what we face, good or bad, We set 
our trust, our hope, our faith on you because you are worthy, you are mighty, you are good. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Creek Church Podcast. If you would like more information about us, please visit our website at thecreekfw.com. Thank you.